Chapter Twenty Three of To London Town. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. To London Town by Arthur Morrison. Johnny's months went uneventfully at Maid Mint and Hurst's. He applied himself zealously to his trade, the more because home was a dull place now and he was as smart a lad as any in the shop of his age or perhaps of a few months older he could turn back an eyelid too and whip away an iron filing or a speck of emery grit with such address and certainty as might astonish a surgeon the operation was one that every engineer's apprentice grew apt at and exceptional dexterity like johnny's was a matter of pride a distinction zealously striven for an accomplishment to exercise at every opportunity johnny felt that he had passed with honors on the memorable day when cotham the gaffer roared to him from the other end of the shop to come and attend to his eye afflicted with a sharp grain of brass no not you quoth mr cotham in answer to instant offers of help from those hard by this arrow stick like a nail in a barn door where's young may dear where's young jack may much of his practical knowledge johnny owed to long hicks that recluse whose sole friend hitherto had been his accordion now declared for a second hobby which was to turn johnny into the best workman at maidment and hurst's before his time was out you've got all the chances said long hicks your servant your time on small work always best for trainin a first-rate man i'm reckoned a good fitter but i serve time mostly on big work or i'd a been better he recommended johnny to qualify as a marine engineer when his apprenticeship was over even if he intended to live a shore life you get your stificates and then you're all right he would say and the better certificates you get the better you'll do afloat or ashore so as soon as your time's out off you go and serve your year at sea as fourth or fifth of a good boat if you can get the job the rest'll be easy as winkin to a quick young chap like you you can draw nice and neat i can put a thing down accurate enough but i can't draw it neat and what with one thing and another i believe you could pass your second now i ought to a done it perhaps but i loose mead at anything like a zamination and i never ad over much schoolin them compound multiplications ud ave me over every time i s'pose you don't think nothin of a compound multiplication johnny admitted that he had gone a long way beyond that rule of arithmetic use hicks answered i've got beyond it too teachin myself i know ow to do em well enough but lord what a strain they are tons hundred weights quarters pounds ounces and grains and multiply em by five hundred and twenty-seven thousand six hundred and eighty-three there ain't no end to a job like that and your brain on the stretch all the time cause a tick out'll make it about a million tons wrong in the end 
it ud send me foamin mad at a zamination and all with a chap waitin for the sum phew and long hicks forehead went clammy at the fancy but there he proceeded you're all right you'll knock off your second's examination easy as marbles and then you'll do your chiefs and extry chiefs all in one and then you'll do the board o trade and be a guarantee chief or anything ye like you will by george and the lank man gazed in johnny's face johnny was sitting on hicks's bed with much respect and admiration being fully persuaded in the enthusiasm of the moment that the lad had already as good as achieved the triumphs he prophesied but there was work to do and johnny did it mechanical drawing when its novelty had worn off was less delightful than the fancy-free draughtsmanship he had practised as a schoolboy and it had an arid twang of decimals and vulgar fractions still for a time there was a charm in the gradual unfolding of the inner principles of his work and in the disclosure piece by piece of the cunning complication that stood ministrant on the main simplicity of a great steam engine till the beauty of the thing in its completeness came in sight with something of surprise in it though this too grew a commonplace as familiarity cheapened it and then his work was work merely and so it went till half the time of his apprenticeship was over and he was eighteen and a sinewy young fellow sometimes he drew at home and sometimes in hicks's room hicks had a few books editions a little out of date some of them but all useful and these were at johnny's service seaton's manual reed's handbook donaldson's drawing and rough sketching and the like hicks's room was inconvenient for drawing but nothing would tempt hicks next door and once or twice mr butson had come home when johnny's drawing-board and implements littered the table in the shop parlor and made objections my eye exclaimed hicks one evening in face of a crankshaft elevation and sections as johnny held it up on the board why that's a drawn good enough to put in a frame i tell ye what me lad with a bit more practice and a bit o the reg'lar professional touch you'll be good enough for a draughtsman's job lord you'll be a master some day and i'll come and get a job of you look ere no more o this gropin about alone round you go to the institute and chip into the mechanical drawn class that's your game they'll put you up to the reg'lar drawn office capers thus urged johnny went to the institute this was an evening school founded by a shipbuilder twenty years earlier here a few lads earnest as johnny came to work and to learn and a great many more differently disposed came to dabble there was a gymnasium too and a cricket club and plenty of boxing and girls came to learn cookery and dressmaking and there were sometimes superior visitors from other parts oozing with inexpensive patronage who spoke of johnny and his companions as the degraded classes who were to be raised from the depths and so in the institute johnny drew and learned the proper drawing office manner of projection 
learned also the muscle grinder and the long arm balance on the horizontal bar and more particularly learned to pop in a straight left to duck and counter and to give and take a furious pounding for three minutes on end without losing wind or good humor so that his attention was diverted from home and for long he saw nothing of the misery his mother suffered in secret nothing of the meek endurance of bessie and for the more reason because both studied to keep him ignorant and to show him cheerful faces but there came an evening when his eyes were opened in some degree at least perhaps something especially perverse had happened in a spring handicap spring handicaps were just beginning perhaps it was some other of the vexations that beset a gentle manly career but certainly mr henry butson came into harbour lane in no amiable mood at the corner where a public-house shed light across the street he ran into a stout bare-armed girl in a faded ultramarine hat and made to push her roughly aside but the girl stood her ground and planted an untender elbow near the spot where his watch-chain hung resplendent garn she cried bought the street abier and then as he sought to pass on dear ye got yer collar and yer chain where's yer muzzle nowise mollified by this outrage mr butson came scowling in at the shop door and taking no notice of nan who stood at the counter entered the back parlor and slammed the door behind him it was barely nine o'clock and so early a return was uncommon bessie sat by the fireside sewing mr butson was angry with the world sorely needing someone to bully and bessie was providentially convenient he put a cigar into his mouth and strode across to the shelf in the corner shoving the girl and her chair and her crutch out of his way in a heap the shelf carried bessie's tattered delight of old books and dragging a random handful of leaves from among them while a confused bunch fell on the floor he twisted up one leaf and thrust it into the gas flame bessie seized his arm oh don't she pleaded please don't not out of the book there's a lot i made on the mantelpiece don't oh don't indeed a glass face stood full of pipe lights but he jerked his elbow into her face knocking her backward and swore savagely he lit his pipe with the precious leaf and then because bessie wept he took another handful from the shelf and pitched it on the fire at this pleading the harder she limped forward to snatch them off but mr butson with a timely fling of the foot checked her sound leg and brought her headlong on the fender use he roared furious at the contumacy you take em off when i put em on go on and see what i'll do to ye damn lazy skew shan't effer he took her by the shoulder as she made to rise and pushed her forward go and earn your livin ye idle slut nan in the shop heard from the beginning and trembled her impulse to interfere she checked as she might for she knew well that would worsen bessie's plight but it was choking hard in the midst johnny burst in from the street whistling why mother he said what's up ill you look what's that no nothing johnny don't go in i'll go stay 
but there was a cry and a noise of falling johnny flung open the parlor door and stood aghast butson pushed the girl forward go and earn your livin ye little slut get out o this for a second johnny stared then he reached butson at a spring and knocked him backward with a swing of his right fist the crutch lay behind the man's heels and tripped him so that he sat backward on the floor mightily astonished johnny snatched the poker and waved it close about butson's head don't you move he cried white with passion don't you try to get up or i'll beat your head in mr butson raised his arm to save his skull but caught a blow across the bone that sent it numb to his side johnny don't cried nan snatching at his arm oh henry pray don't get away mother said johnny or i'll have to hit his head you blackguard coward you you're a meaner hound even than i took you for you'll touch my sister a lame girl will you at the thought he struck but again nan caught at him and only mr butson's shoulder suffered don't johnny his mother entreated think o the neighbors they can hear next door so they could and for the sake of trade the proprieties of harbor lane must be respected to have a row in the house was a scandal unpardonable in harbor lane in the height of his anger johnny remembered and instinctively dropped his voice very well he said then call a policeman i'll lock him up johnny's anger kept his reason half astray yet or he would have remembered that to have a member of the household taken off by a policeman would be more disgraceful than twenty rows but mr butson's consternation though momentary was plain johnny johnny pleaded poor nan think of the disgrace do let's make it up for my sake johnny bessie was crying in a corner and nan was choking and sobbing johnny wavered and the poker stopped in mid-air butson took heart of grace and moved to get up though he kept his eye on the poker better take em away he growled to nan if ye don't want me to smash em straight away the poker waved again and mr butson changed his mind as to getting up smash me johnny asked smash me eh keep a civil tongue or you shall have it now see and he thrust the point against mr butson's nose leaving a black smear don't think i care for you if this was anywhere else i'd a broken your head in twenty places now you sit there and listen to me mr butson what you are we know you came here starving with about half a suit o boiler clothes in the world and my mother fed you out o charity and worse luck she fed you and she put clothes on your lazy carcass and you cadged and begged as a mongrel dog wouldn't stop where you are or you'll have it this with another flourish of the poker and another smear on the nose mr butson sat up again a figure of ignominity you talked my mother over and you married her and you've lived on her ever since like a gentleman or like what you think's a gentleman you not worth boys pay on a mud barge now see here i'm not a boy now or at any rate i'm not a little one i'm within half a head as tall as you 
I'm not so strong as you now, perhaps. And I know I'm not as big, but some day I shall be stronger, because you're rotting yourself with idleness and booze. And then I'll give you a bigger hiding than you can carry, for what I saw just now. You look forward to that? Until then, if you put your hand within a foot of my sister again, I'll brain you with this poker, or I'll stick something into you. I'll go for you with whatever I can lay hold of. Now you remember that. Johnny's voice was loud again, and once more Nan appealed. All right, mother, he answered, more quietly, but I'll make him understand. I shall keep a little more at home in the evenings now, my fine fellow, and I shall take all this table to draw on, whether you like it or not, unless my sister or my mother want to use it. I've got more right here than you, and if I go out, I'll ask about your behavior when I come in. I've kept quiet and knuckled under you for the sake of peace, and so as not to worry, mother. There's been enough, oh that. If you want rows, you shall have em. I'll make you as frightened of me as you are of the police. Ah, you know what I mean? Johnny had no idea of what he meant himself, but he had been sharp enough to observe the effect of his earlier allusion to the police, and he followed it up. You know what I mean. You'd look a deal more at home in jail than here, in a white shirt, eating other people's victuals. Mr. Butson decided that Bluster would not do just at present. He wondered if Johnny really did know anything, and how much, but surely not, or he would go a good deal farther. Anyway, best be cautious. So Mr. Butson growled, Oh, all right. Damn lot of fuss to make over nothing. I don't want no words. And Bessie, still crying, took hold of her brother's arm and said, Don't say any more, Johnny, please. I, I perhaps I oughtn't to have done what I did. What you did, Johnny answered, not so cheaply appeased. You do what you like, Bess. I'll see he don't interfere. He says he don't want any words. He shan't have em. He'll have something harder if he touches you. Let go my arm a minute. Go on. You can get up now. This to Butson, with the black nose. You better go and wash yourself. But none o' oh, your tricks. If you try to lay hold o' me from behind, or anything like that, you'll get it, with anything I can catch hold of. So now you know. And Mr. Henry Butson, growling indistinctly, went out to wash his face, closely watched by Johnny poker in hand. Next door, on one side, heads were thrust out at the back door to listen to the unwanted noise of quarreling at the Chandler's, and on the other side other heads were thrust out at the front door, because the law of irregularity in the building of Harbor Lane decreed a back garden to the one house and a front garden to the other. End of chapter 23